Hello and welcome to An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. We explore the Book of Mormon with the assumption that science worked the same then as it does now and that the characters are real people with the same types of feelings and tendencies as you and me today. The views and opinions expressed here are strictly those of the narrator and should not be considered official interpretations in any way. And now An Engineer's Journey Through the Book of Mormon. Just a quick note by way of explanation. As I journey through the Book of Mormon, I assume the characters are real people. And being real people, they each have their own goals, aspirations, and feelings. I also assume that a modern person would react the same way if put in the same situations. And we'll see that at play here in 1 Nephi chapter 3. 1 Nephi chapter 3 begins with Lehi having another dream, in which God commands him to to send his sons back to Jerusalem to retrieve some plates. Lehi said the plates contained two things. First, the record of the Jews, and second, a genealogy of his forefathers. Upon hearing his father's request to return to Jerusalem and retrieve the plates, Nephi delivered one of his most quoted lines in verse 7. And it came to pass that I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things which the Lord hath commanded. For I know that the Lord giveth no commandments unto the children of men, save he shall prepare a way for them that they may accomplish the thing which he commandeth them. I wondered what prompted Nephi to say this. As far as we know, he had no experience with the Lord preparing a way for things to happen. In my opinion, the Spirit prompted Nephi with that thought, that no matter how impossible a request might seem, God won't ask you to do something without providing a way to do it. And Nephi felt in his heart that that was true, or at least at first he hoped it was true. And after that initial impression, each time Nephi faced a situation that appeared to be impossible, he trusted in this concept and pushed forward, even when he had no idea what he would do. Decades later, when he was writing his memoirs, Nephi still remembered when he first learned that principle, and looking back, he realized it was a foundational moment for him. In fact, you could argue that 1 Nephi 3.7 is a sort of thesis statement for the book of 1 Nephi. Throughout the rest of the book, Nephi tested this principle over and over and over again and watched in amazement as it proved to be true. Each time God miraculously provided a way to fulfill his commandments, Nephi's confidence grew, until in chapter 17 we find him saying this to his brothers in verse 50. And I said unto them, If God commanded me to do all things, I could do them. If he should command me that I should say unto this water, Be thou earth, it should be earth. And if I should say it, it would be done. But there's another important aspect of 1 Nephi 3.7 by including the phrase, which the Lord hath commanded, Nephi signaled to his father that he recognized that God was behind his request. He acknowledged that Lehi's dreams were from God, rather than being the delusions or imaginations of a visionary man. Verse 8 describes Lehi as being exceedingly glad. What a relief it must have been for Lehi to know that at least one person believed that he was inspired instead of crazy. But not Laman and Lemuel. They said 
that Lehi had asked them to do a hard thing. It might seem like they were being lazy, but let's consider the difficulty of what they were being asked to do. They had been commanded to bring home the brass plates being kept by Laban. I've heard some people describe this as basically an assignment to ask a grumpy old man if they can have his copy of the scriptures. But that misses the point by a rather large margin. So first, let's consider what the plates were worth. And and I don't mean what they were worth spiritually to Lehi and his family. I'm asking what they would have cost to buy or to make. Because later in this chapter, money is going to change hands. As a first step, you would need to make the plates. How much work would be necessary to make even a single brass plate? Remember, this was in ancient Jerusalem and there were no modern tools. And you needed these plates to be flat and of uniform thickness. And this process would likely start by melting brass, raising it to a very high temperature to get rid of the impurities, pouring the liquid brass into a dye. Then when it is solid, but still glowing and red hot, you would need to flatten it. So nowadays with modern machinery, the the glowing metal ingot gets flattened by running it repeatedly through metal rollers until it is almost paper thin. But in Lehi's day, it would have been flattened manually by, probably by pounding it flat with a hammer, but being careful not to make any part of it too thin. This would have been a job for an artisan or for an expert. Once a single sheet was finished, the same process would need to be repeated for the remaining sheets. And all of them would need to be the same size and the same thickness. Most likely, new plates were made one at a time as needed and then added to the set. The cost of such a project would have been extraordinarily expensive. And that is for plates with nothing written on them. And these were not blank plates. In chapter 5, Lehi discovered that For one, they contained the five books of Moses. Before the printing press was invented, if you wanted a scroll or a book, you had to either copy it yourself or hire someone else to write it for you. Books and scrolls were therefore extremely valuable because they required weeks or months of an educated person's time. Even after the printing press was invented, books were still rare and even precious. When someone died, their last will and testament would often specify who should receive each of their books. And those were books made of paper. Think of the cost of scratching the five books of Moses onto expensive brass plates. But the books of Moses weren't the only reason the plates were important. In 1 Nephi 3.3, which we read up above, Lehi said, Behold, Laban hath the record of the Jews. Notice the phrasing. It is not simply a record of the Jews, but the record of the Jews. So what do we mean by the record of the Jews? If we jump ahead to 1 Nephi chapter 5, verses 11 and 12 provide some more detail. In these verses, Lehi describes the contents of the plates. Verses 11 and 12. And he beheld that they did contain the five books of Moses which we talked about a minute ago, which gave an account of the creation of the world and also of Adam and Eve, who were our first parents, and also a record of the Jews from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Let's repeat verse 12. And also a record of the Jews from the beginning, 
even down to the commencement of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. If you'll remember back in 1 Nephi chapter 1, Nephi said his story began in the first year of King Zedekiah. So when Lehi announced that the plates held a record of the Jews down to the commencement of the reign of King Zedekiah, it meant that that record was being kept current and was up to date. In verse 13, we we learn of some other things recorded on the plates. And also the prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning, even down to the commencement of the reign of King Zedekiah, and also many prophecies which have been spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah. Not only did the plates contain a current record of the Jews, but they had prophecies of the holy prophets from the beginning down to the modern day, ending with the prophecies of Jeremiah. In addition, Lehi discovered that the plates contained his family's genealogy, and he learned that he was a descendant of Joseph in Egypt. And verse 16 says, And thus my father Lehi did discover the genealogy of his fathers. And Laban was also a descendant of Joseph, wherefore he and his fathers had kept the records. So it contained his family history, and it also contained Laban's family history. Okay, a brief tangent. Some people have used verse 16 to imply that Lehi and Laban were related, uh, that perhaps Nephi and Laban were cousins because they both descended from Joseph in Egypt. However, Joseph lived more than a thousand years earlier, so this would be like thinking someone is your cousin because you have a common ancestor at the time of the Crusades. But going back to the plates, they had the Old Testament. They had the official record being kept by the Jews. They had religious teachings, both historical and current. And they had the genealogy of at least a few prominent citizens. This is why Lehi referred to the brass plates as the record of the Jews. In chapter 4, Nephi tells us that this valuable record was guarded by Laban in his treasury. In that same chapter, we'll learn that Laban frequently interacted with the elders of the Jews probably when they came to update the record. And Laban was no librarian. He wears armor and carries a sword. In in chapter 331, Laman describes him as a mighty man who can command 50 and even slay 50. A record this valuable and this carefully guarded would not have a duplicate. As Lehi said in verse 3, this was the record of the Jews. Given its metallic value, the effort needed to make it, and its role as the official political, religious, and civic record of the city, continuously updated for several generations in the care of a powerful family, the brass plates might easily have been one of the most valuable items in Jerusalem. This was no quest to persuade a grumpy old man to part ways with his scriptures. Nephi and his brothers had been asked to go to the nation's capital and return with the official record. This task was not a hard thing, as Laman and Lemuel said. It was an impossible thing. But yet, in the face of this kind of challenge, Nephi was confident that God would prepare a way. When Nephi and his brothers reached Jerusalem, it says, they did consult one with another, quote, and we cast lots. Who of us should go unto the house of Laban? And it came to pass that the lot fell upon Laman, end quote. If you're familiar with the Book of Mormon, you'll know that Laman eventually becomes a villain. But at this point, it seems like he's still trying to be obedient. He and Lemuel were not happy about being uprooted from their home. 
leaving their extensive property to live in tents in the wilderness, but I certainly wouldn't describe them as evil. Not yet. Some part of Laman still trusted that his dad knew what he was doing. Perhaps Lehi's sons thought he had made an arrangement with Laban, or maybe they thought God would inspire Laban to give them the plates. We don't know, but we but we do know that Laman was the one to walk into Laban's house and ask for the plates. Picture yourself as Laban. Your family has safeguarded the city records for several generations. You're at home one day when the son of a wealthy family walks into your house and politely asks if you can give him the record that you've been safeguarding. There's a long silence. You wonder if you might have misheard his request. So he repeats it. Mr. Laban, sir, we're leaving town and would like to take the city record with us. Could you get it for me, please? We don't know exactly what Laman said, but we know Laban's response. Verse 13, And behold, it came to pass that Laban was angry and thrust him out from his presence, and he would not that he should have the records. Wherefore he said unto him, Behold, thou art a robber, and I will slay thee. But Laman fled out of his presence, and told the things which Laban had done unto us. And we began to be exceedingly sorrowful, and my brethren said Nephi, we're about to return unto my father in the wilderness. Laban and Lemuel were ready to return to their father in the desert and report that Laban was unwilling to part with the plates. They had told him that it was an impossible task, but they thought perhaps God would change Laban's mind or do something miraculous. There's a principle that Laban and Lemuel and perhaps many of us don't understand. We trust that God's prophecies will be fulfilled. Re remember the scene from the movie, The Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, who plays Moses, stands by the Red Sea and says, The Lord of hosts will do battle for us. Behold his mighty hand. And we trust that if God says something will happen, it will happen. And like the children of Israel, our job is to watch as God works his miracles. But that's not how it usually happens. I heard a story of a woman whose patriarchal blessing said that she would someday travel the world. She was a single mom, and that line in her blessing had always given her hope. The years rolled by until one day she realized no plane tickets would ever be arriving in the mail. If that promise in her patriarchal blessing were ever going to be fulfilled, it would be because she made it happen. Laman and Lemuel, and also Nephi, were willing for Laban to give them the plates, but I don't think that they had considered that God had given them an assignment and expected them to come up with a solution. There can sometimes be a blurry line between prophecies and commandments. When the Lord reveals his will, it's frequently our job to find out how to make his will happen. Nephi seemed to understand this. He now realized that Laban would not simply hand over the plates, but he didn't know what else to try. He encouraged his brothers to not give up and explained why they needed the plates. His explanation to his brothers tells us something about his brothers. Listen to what it says, beginning with verse 19. And behold, it is wisdom in God that we should obtain these records, that we may preserve unto our children the language of our fathers. And also, 
that we may preserve unto them the words which have been spoken by the mouth of all the holy prophets, which have been delivered unto them by the Spirit and power of God, since the world began, even down unto this present time. And it came to pass that after this manner of language did I persuade my brethren that they might be faithful in keeping the commandments of God. If Laman and Lemuel were the angry apostates that we make them out to be, would they have been motivated by the notion of having the scriptures to share with their children? Probably not, but Nephi's words convinced them. Verse 22, And it came to pass that we went down to the land of our inheritance, and we did gather together our gold and our silver and our precious things. And after we had gathered these things together, we went up again unto the house of Laban. Nephi uses the phrase, the land of our inheritance. All this gold, silver, and precious things that they were gathering, ask yourself this question. Whose inheritance was that? Whose inheritance were they carrying to Laban's house? Laman was Lehi's oldest son. He was willing to trust God enough to carry his inheritance to Laban's house. That makes me think he was genuinely trying to be obedient, even if he grumbled as he did it. He had also been the one to ask Laban for the plates. Now he was willing to put his inheritance at risk. And what was his motivation? His motivation was so that his children would have access to the scriptures in the promised land. All right, we, we usually say that Nephi and his brothers tried to buy the plates from Laban, but that doesn't seem likely. Imagine that you are Laban, and you have just sold the plates when the elders of the Jews or a city dignitary arrive and ask to see the plates. Good evening, Laban. We've come to add a new prophecy to the record. Yeah, well, about that. I just sold the plates. See, it's, it's a lot more likely that Nephi would have given Laban the family fortune, Laman's inheritance, and Laban would have claimed to have been robbed because although the records were in his keeping, it seems unlikely that they were his to sell. Continuing in verse 24, And it came to pass that we went in unto Laban and desired of him that he would give unto us the records which were engraven upon the plates of brass, for which we would give unto him our gold, our silver, and our precious things. And it came to pass that when Laban saw our property and that it was exceedingly great, he did lust after it, insomuch that he thrust us out and sent his servants to slay us, that he might obtain our property. And it came to pass that we did flee before the servants of Laban, and we were obliged to leave behind our property, and it fell into the hands of Laban. So the boys ran from Laban and hid in the cavity of a rock in the wilderness. Picture the mental state of Laman. He had allowed Nephi to talk him into giving up his inheritance in an attempt to bribe Laban to give them the scriptures. Even though he had had his doubts, he had trusted Nephi and his father, and he had taken a leap of faith. When he woke up that morning, he was heir to a large fortune, but now he was hiding in a cave. A rich man's servants were hunting for him, and his inheritance was irretrievably gone. Verse 28, And it came to pass that Laman was angry with me, and also with my father, and also was Lemuel, for he hearkened unto the words of Laman. Wherefore, Laman and Lemuel did speak many hard words unto us, their younger brothers, and they did smite us even with a rod. An angel of the Lord interrupted the beating and asked Laman and Lemuel why they were smiting Nephi with a rod. Quote, 
Know ye not that the Lord hath chosen him to be a ruler over you, and this because of your iniquities? End quote. The angel instructed them to return to Jerusalem, saying that the Lord would deliver Laban into their hands. And after the angel had departed, Laman and Lemuel again began to murmur, saying, How is it possible that the Lord will deliver Laban into our hands? Behold, he is a mighty man, and he can command fifty, yea, even he can slay fifty, then why not us? The angel had said God would deliver Laban into their hands. Would it be like the scene from the Ten Commandments? The Lord of hosts will do battle for us, behold his mighty hand. Or would Nephi and his brothers need to find a way to make it happen? We'll talk about that next time. I'd like to end with a trivia question. It's relatively simple, but it has some interesting implications that we'll talk about. If you know the answer, email the answer along with the source to bomjourney at gmail.com. No periods, underscores, just bomjourney at gmail.com. Here's the question. How old was Zedekiah when he was made king of Judah? How old was Zedekiah when the Babylonians made him king of Judah? We will see you next time.